Bar Podcast Network presents A Guy, A Bride, and A Bible. Grab your Bible and your person. Mark, he's the guy. Andrea, she's the bride. Open up and read along. Hi, babe. Hi. I'm Mark, the groom, the man. The guy. Okay, I'm the guy. I'm Andrea, the bride. She's always right, too. And we are about to read the Bible. Welcome to our time together in the Word. We are going to do a time jump. So if you would forgive us just a little bit, um, we're not jumping into a new season, quote unquote, although we probably could say that, like this is season three. But um, we, maybe these are the Dallas Chronicles, the <laughs> Texas Chronicles. We, um, you guys have known, you've been following us. We've been, this last summer, uh, these last, how many weeks? Months? Three months or four months? How would, how would you say? Since May? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, when did we start thinking Dallas? Was it, it was May, wasn't it, when we came out here? Oh, it was before then, babe. It was before May? We put an offer in the house. Um, remember as that's I was graduating. Right, that's right, that's so right. So end of April. Okay, so right? yeah, so it has been a solid four months. Like I already had the job. Yeah. It was like chaos for us the last four months. Well, I almost had the job. So yeah, we were thinking about Dallas since, was Gosh. it February? I think maybe. I think maybe. That sounds right. We were not right. thinking of it in December. No, but my point is, it disrupted our flow. Yeah. Uh, of recording and a little bit of reading, to be honest, everybody. We told you that we'll be transparent, um, but we have been um, back at reading really regularly as a family, and even Emily's been joining us. It's been good. It's been really good. But we're going to do a time jump because we have been in uh, the Old Testament, we've been in Numbers, and we've been in um, Leviticus. Leviticus. Uh, which what else are we doing in John? We've been doing John, but we haven't recorded a lot of that. And Song of Songs. And the Song of Psalms. Second time through that. Oh, that's a good one. Tell you what. Mm. Yeah, we read it with Emily, and there were yes. a couple times oh where I couldn't look at you. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. You know, little little. Or I couldn't look at her. Like, don't ask me what what that means. Yeah, it's we tried poetry. to. It's poetry. We we did try to you know make it G rated. Emily's eleven, and but you yeah. know Solomon and the Shunammite. Oh, thank it's you. A, it's a love story. Hello. Um. So, anyway. So, so we tonight, are, we're time jumping to a whole you new said, start. Hey. I asked my bride this, and she's like, "Cool." So we're still using our same reading plan, and that is. Three hundred sixty-five. Day connecting the testaments. Yes, I always say it wrong. But um, and we I, were we just started numbers, and that meant next we were gonna reread Deuteronomy. Yeah. And as much as it is a page turner, and it is, I I do recall as we started this whole process how it really rocked you. Yeah, but I'm not like dying to read about all the Canaanites being slaughtered again. I love it. You I know love what I mean? Part. It's so, my favorite movie. So you were very, like, I, 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 I you probably thought, because I can be kind of stubborn yeah, sometimes. Yeah, you can. You were like, what do you think? And I was like, oh, yeah. So. Like, no offense. 
to anybody that loves Deuteronomy, I've never heard anybody like staunchly defend. That's me right there, man. I'll staunch it. Anyway, so we just looked and saw where we should be. We, if we were actually on date with our reading plan, yeah. we should be um, in the middle of Isaiah and at the end of Psalms and all sorts of stuff. So are we, we that far behind. Yeah, we are. But we we never were we partly because of me being in school. I asked for grace and I said, I don't think we can do this every single night. Because when we started the podcast, we were crushing it nightly. Yeah. That's um, a lot. That's a and lot. I kind of asked for quality over quantity. Um, but I am better when I do something consistently. Yep. And so we looked at where today would have been. And it was like middle of Isaiah or beginning of Isaiah. So we're going so back. So we rocked it back to see like where that started and it was the beginning of three different books yeah so we're going back to the date that starts with isaiah um job and luke which those are all going to be awesome we're going to have some deep learning and deep reading you know we we did jeremiah i forget how much of it we released we recorded a bunch of it that didn't get released because that's when we kind of shifted a little bit you so, do the releasing, I don't know. Yeah, so, but, um, <clears throat> guys, we got about 20 episodes we've never released. Anyway, so, I am officially, I mean, it's not granted yet. She's a doctor, guys. No. Yes. No. Yes. It's not what I was trying to say. I am. I have submitted all of my stuff, unless my school says, oh, we didn't realize you hadn't done this thing from la la la, um, which I did have happen one time from a previous degree. And thankfully, I was able to say, nope, I did this, this, and this. But it is kind of scary. So I have not been conferred. But um, done with assignments. Almost done with... All of them. Almost on my doctorate. Yep. And we're still on... Well, I'm on the last part of summer break. You just started your new job this week. Yep. Go FBA. We are... um, And my new job, I think, is going to be a really cool mix of, um, like they really seem like, I'm not going to say where I work just in case there's any. That's okay. I'll keep that down. Yeah. Um, but, um, I, they really seem to value balance for people. Like they're, anyway, I'm just excited. Like I'm, part of me is like, what do I do when I'm not busy every single minute? Um, you had to go from one extreme to the other. Yeah. Yes. It's fantastic. We, I know we and the girl. Me and I'm the kind of like, I, what do I, I? Who am I? But family life, we're really excited for this. Right. So excited to be more consistent. Yeah. And I then agree. you said that you got a bunch of new followers today. Uh, yeah. So my new crew, I, I, I'm at a new school, new Christian school. Um, finally made it to the bigs. I'm doing high school, uh, and I'm actually the the senior co-sponsor next year. I'll actually be the senior sponsor um, for all senior activities and stuff. And uh, it's really cool uh, to have kids not in the fourth grade, kids that are in my size. I got one student that's huge. I mean, he's like monstrous huge. Um, but we've all been going through our week of in-service, getting ready for the launch of uh, our, our year. Uh, next week, school year begins for us, and it's it's really cool. Everybody is so for each other, and so this uh, 
one of he's he's one of our new listeners. Garrett, what's up, bruh? A uh, young man that loves the Lord, loves basketball, is the um, and PE teacher guy. I mean, it's just awesome. But we were going off to lunch as a, as a big group, and he and I drove together. And so it kind of came up that I do this little podcast with my wife. And he's, he, boom, he just hooked up. It's the culture for, for you know, the, the younger set. You know, so he's like, you got a new listener now, man. I can't wait to give you stars. And oh he's my like, gosh. oh yeah, he's, he totally made my day. And then, sounds like a very sweet and then guy. one of the other girls, she's like, you got a podcast. Oh my gosh. I love podcasts. My husband had a podcast. I was in college and she went through the whole story of it. It's hysterical. And she goes, I'm totally going to listen. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, well, and then he goes, get ready. You're going to get more. Oh, so, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying any kind of growth is going to happen from this, but it's amazing to me to find out how many huge, huge churches are in Dallas. Multiple well, thousands we of people. should have kind of churches. expected that because everything cow. is bigger in it's Texas. True. It's true. I get that, but man, there yeah. are these but churches are our, the sizes of cities. But we found ourselves a nice little church. We did, and it's sweet Bible teaching, loving Jesus in the community, very, very local minded, and. And still sending missionaries out, but it's not this, you know, multiple thousands. The pastor knows us. Pastor had us over for dinner first week. Oh, so sweet. Mm-hmm. The guys we're not gonna get, welcome us. We're so not gonna fast. drop to the cracks. No cracks. It's like one sheet. So anyway, tonight um, we want to welcome Isaiah you guys. One? Isaiah one is where we're gonna start. Uh, let's start off in prayer yes. and we'll just move through it. Yeah. Father God, you are awesome. You are wonderful, and you are so forgiving and patient with your kids. We are grateful that we could be here tonight and read your word. And as we read for the first time in this process, Isaiah, bring it to uh, light within us. Help us to understand what's going on, the context, but also the deeper meanings and what it means for our lives. And same thing with Luke. We read Luke all the time, uh, especially at Christmas, but may it have a deeper impact on us. And Job, help us to understand the complexities and the meanings behind that whole entire epic. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, my bride here in her NASB 1995 edition. Okay, so Isaiah was written by Isaiah. Isaiah. Um, between 740 and 680 B.C., and Emily asked us why it goes backwards the other night. That was yeah. funny. So the prophet, he was born into an influential upper-class family. He rubbed shoulders with royalty and gave advice concerning the foreign affairs of the nation. Though unusually scoffed at, he warned vigorously against foreign alliances and urged Judah to trust the Lord. He also attacked the social ills of the day, not because he was a social reformer, but because he saw those abuses as symptoms of spiritual declension. Declension? Declension. There's a word I gotta look up. Yeah. Declination? Declension. Okay. Declen. Yeah. I don't know. But I would, I would wonder that, I would assume that it's like falling up away. Okay. Right? Sure. Maybe declining. Declination. Yeah, I bet you're right. 
After living most of his life in Jerusalem, tradition says that Isaiah was martyred during the reign of Manasseh mm. by being sawed in two inside of a hollow log. Oh, Manasseh. Well, the times. During the latter half of the 8th century, Judah seemingly was about to follow the example of apostasy of the ten northern tribes of Israel who were captured by Assyria in 722 B.C., King Ahaz foolishly looked to Assyria for protection, even though Isaiah told him the northern kingdom would shortly fall at the hands of the Assyrians. Hezekiah, Ahaz's God-fearing son, instituted spiritual reforms but sought the help of Egypt in foreign affairs. Egypt fell before Sennacherib of Assyria, and only through divine intervention was Judah saved from the same fate. During the reign of Manasseh, idolatrous practices were reinstated, and Isaiah warned of the inevitability of the Babylonian captivity. He also gave assurance of the preservation of the people and restoration of the nation. Composition. Much dispute has arisen over the authorship of chapters 40 to 66. Some assign the entire section to a Deutero-Isaiah, who lived around 540 BC, after the Babylonian captivity, Others see a trito Isaiah who wrote chapters 56 to 66. Still others see insertions in and editing as late as the first century BC, a position difficult to maintain in view of the discovery of the Qumran Isaiah scroll dated in the second century BC. These suggestions attempt to eliminate the supernatural element necessary for predictive prophecy. This side note, this reminds me of the whole thing that we learned when we were studying Daniel. Yeah. Where they tried to say, oh no, this was... It can't be prophecy. It's accurate. It's too accurate. Yeah. And so it must be that it was written. Yeah. Yeah. It was written right. after these occurrences. Doesn't this remind you of that? Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, hence, the Babylonian <clears throat> captivity and the return under a Persian king, specifically named Cyrus, are not viewed as being predicted 150 years in advance, but as happenings recorded after the events. But even if one were to grant such a conclusion, it would not invalidate predictive prophecy. The name of King Josiah was predicted by a prophet three centuries before his time in 1 Kings, and Bethlehem was named as the birthplace of Messiah seven centuries before the event in Micah. In addition, there is predictive prophecy in chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah. Um, Okay. If Deutero-Isaiah lived in Babylon, as is claimed, he shows little knowledge of Babylonian geography, but great familiarity with Palestine. Further, it is asserted that differences in language and style can only be accounted for by assuming different authors. A theory that, if applied to Milton Goethe, trying to say it right, or Shakespeare, would force us to conclude that many of their writings were spurious. On the contrary, one can point out 40 or 50 sentences and phrases that appear in both sections of the book and that therefore argue for a single authorship. To claim two or more authors of this book is also to contradict the evidence of the New Testament. Quotations from chapters 40 through 66 are found in Matthew, Luke, Acts, and Romans and are all attributed to Isaiah. Moreover, in John 12, quotations from Isaiah 6 and 53 appear together and both are ascribed to the Isaiah who saw the Lord in the temple vision of chapter 6. We must therefore conclude that the same author who was responsible for the entire book and that no part of it was written at the time of the Babylonian captivity. Contents. Isaiah has been called the evangelical prophet because he says so much about the redemptive work of Messiah. 
More Mm -hmm. about the person and work of Christ is found here than in any other book of the Old Testament. Consequently, there are many important favorite passages of this book, which are da 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 Yep. So. That was a good intro. A lot of intro. A lot of of intro for Isaiah. You still got a little more outlines and stuff. So if you've got a study Bible that you're going through, take some time. Sometimes we just skip by these little helps. Take a look at yours. You might be surprised. If you're like me, you're on the bible.faithlife.com. So go to the faithlife.com website and you go to their online Bible app. And my wife is agape with with. Well, this is kind of cool. There's because, like, like you said, we fly by these things. Yeah, because it's not scripture, so we just fly by it. This says great prophetic themes of Isaiah still unfulfilled. Ooh, let's hit that real quick. The day of the Lord. Okay. And I'm not reading all this stuff. No, no, but just blessing the... upon restored Israel, mm-hmm. restoration of Israel to Palestine, restoration of Palestine Palestine itself, Jerusalem as capital of the earth, blessing upon the remnant. Blessing upon the nations and blessing to entire creation. So I'm just going to say this is a fantastic example of why the Old Testament is still relevant today. Yeah, exactly. There's so many people who, you know, they get saved, they go to church and, and they just stay in the New Testament. They don't go diving deep into prophets that, you know, like Isaiah, still not done. We know that Jesus fulfilled hundreds of Messianic prophecies in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Zephaniah. I mean, just con- all the prophets. Jesus fulfilled things left and right. But not everything has been satisfied yet. Not everything, because there's still the second coming of Messiah. Mm-hmm. And like you just pointed out, these things have to happen still. So it's fantastic. So that's why I can't wait to really pour into it. Cool. So let me get reading. Um, again, I'm reading from the faithlife.com uh, Bible app, and I'm reading the Lexham English Bible, and starting Isaiah chapter 1. The vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, uh, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, all kings of Judah, four kings spanning 60 years. Verse 2, hear heavens and listen earth, for Yahweh has spoken. I reared children, and I brought them up, but they rebelled against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey the the manger of its master. Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, a sinful nation, a people heavy with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken Yahweh. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are estranged and gone backward. Why do you want to be beaten again? You continue in rebellion. The whole of the head is sick and the whole of the heart is faint. From the sole of the foot and up to the head, there is no health in it. Bruise and sore and bleeding wound have not been cleansed. And they have not been bound up and not softened with oil. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. As for your land, aliens are devouring it in your presence, and it is desolate, like devastation by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a shelter in a cucumber field, like a city that is besieged. If Yahweh of hosts had not left us survivors, we would have been a few, as few as Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Hear the word of Yahweh, rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teaching of our God, people of Gomorrah. 
What is the abundance of your sacrifices to me, says Yahweh? I have had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I do not delight in the blood of bulls and ram lambs and goats when you come to appear before me. Who ask for this from your hand? You're trampling my courts. You must ask, You must not continue to bring offerings of futility. Incense, it is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of a convocation. I cannot endure iniquity with solemn assembly. Your new moon and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They have become to me like a burden. I'm not able to bear them. And when you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not be listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now. And let us argue, says Yahweh. Even though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white like snow. Even though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and you are obedient and you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and you rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. We pause there. It's 20 verses. So much amazing stuff. I, oh my gosh, I don't want to go too deep dive. I'm tempted to, but I, I don't want to do that. We've got so much in this. Um, do you have anything you want to point out real quick? Um, for five through six. Okay. It says the picture is not of a sick man, but rather of one who has been flogged. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was really descriptive. Just bruised and broken. Yeah. And then... So... This is kind of more of a question. I don't want to... Okay. Um, so we just finished reading all about the sacrifices. Yeah, that uh, totally hit me in the face when I was reading these. So, because, you know, bleeding hearts, me. Bleeding heart, you. There's a whole lot of animals just bleeding out and being sacrificed and sacrificed. And God mm-hmm. told Moses to have them do that. That's right. So it's kind of a little bit... Of, let me finish. Okay. Um... So what I'm, and I think where I was going to answer my, my question here. Um, so what he says for verses 10 through 15, the people's sacrifices, religious festivals, and prayers were shams. Mm-hmm. God was not repudiating the sacrificial system, which he himself had established, but was condemning religious pretense. Yeah. Which sounds a lot like Jesus. Flipping some tables. Right. So kind of like, like if you tell me I love you, and then you turn around and hit me or you um you know didn't treat me kindly or did you were unfaithful you know anything like that sure then i would be like anything that would be opposite of love right so that's kind of what i figured but it is kind of like well you asked for this god and they were still trying to do it so it's got that's a little confusing to me. Okay, I'll jump in here. Um, my notes say very similar to what Ryrie was saying, and as I was reading this, 
I was thinking of all the instructions that we read in Exodus and how to sacrifice for what, which animal goes with which sin. Is this a, uh, what was it, an atonement offering, a sin offering, or a fellowship offering? You know, was it a wave offering? There's so many different sacrifices yeah. that we read about. And when God is speaking out to to Judah right here, he is condemning the fact that, and this is what he said in Exodus. Remember this when he said, for I delight in obedience over sacrifice. Yeah. That's the key to the whole thing. God would rather never, ever have a sacrifice. He would rather have obedience. But Adam and Eve kind of took that out, didn't they? Because of their disobedience, we had to have a sacrifice system that would ultimately be completed in Christ because of Christ's obedience. It's kind of a it's kind of a tight little knot. The part that is happening here is they are caught they're doing the sacrifices without obedience. They're doing their sinful acts. Well, and it then, sounds like, and they're hurting people because he says, "Oh yeah, they're totally defend the orphan, plead for the widow." They were unjust. They weren't exactly. Like, and I, mine says for seventeen. Mine says, "Reprove the ruthless." Yours is different. Uh, mine says, "Learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, and plead okay. for the widow." So, reprove the worthless versus rescue the oppressed. Okay. Those are well. It's different it's language. Different, huh? You have the NASB there. Yeah. So mine here in the note just simply says righteous leadership on defend the orphan is the only note I have. It says yeah. uh, righteous leadership always involves fair treatment of the weakest members of society, orphans, widows, and immigrants. So they were ignoring God's command to to help people that were yeah. in need. Remember, and then they were going and saying, look how great I am. I'm sacrificing. Yeah. I mean, remember God right. in, in Exodus, he's talking about don't glean your fields to the edge, you know, and right. look after the alien who wants to live with you. Right. He's not of the tribes, but we're, he is, he's now part of us. Yeah. So we saw all that back so in Exodus. So this is why we do the connect in the Testaments. That's right. we're able to, if we just look at Deuteronomy or sorry, Leviticus. Mm-hmm. The Levitical law. Yeah. Right? If we just look at that, then we're getting this like one picture. One, one thread lens, of the tapestry. This one lens to look through yeah. it. Yeah. And if you only look at Jesus mm-hmm. and the certain verses that you want to look at from him, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then it doesn't look like it's the same person. No. But this is very much the way that Jesus talked to Pharisees. Exactly. Which is kind of cool that we'll, we do this. We'll even read more in Isaiah later. Because he remember was when, the same person. He was. But remember when Jesus calls for the scroll of Isaiah and he says, Today I've fulfilled this in your hand. Yeah. Right? So it's pretty much the, the same text though where God is saying to this, to cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. Jesus, when he declares, this is what Messiah is going to do and I'm doing it. Yeah. So we see that God has always called for this in the law, in Leviticus, in Exodus. This is the expectation God puts on his people. Yeah. And offering offering to do sacrifices was a merciful thing that he was doing to try to keep us, to, to allow us to have a relationship with him. Correct. It wasn't this like barbaric, mean thing. Yes. It was the... 
the steps toward what would become the salvation in Christ. Yeah. Yeah, it was also like a prophetic kind mm-hmm. of thing. Even okay, though. last note that I have for 18, <clears throat> Scarlet and Crimson. Yeah. We're both glaring and color fast. I just like how he points that out. Yeah. That's because it. that dye at that time was brilliantly red. And it, we're not talking about red, red dye, red, red, red that washes out, but even red, yeah. like you get something stained red. Yeah. This is super red. Yeah. Rich. Like deep in yeah. the material. I thought okay. that was just cool. Okay. So, all right. Jump with us to verse 21. No, I thought it was just 1 through 20. Oh, was it 1 through 20? I'm sorry, guys. Let me see. I thought it was going all the way to chapter 2. Uh, give me a second here as I move through to our location. Um, Maybe I was wrong. Yeah, go to 2 5. 2 5. Oh, okay. All right, so 21. Uh, how has a faithful city become like a whore? Woo! I'm glad Emily wasn't reading with us tonight. Mom, <laughs> what's a whore? <laughs> I would have let you answer that. How has a faithful city become like a whore, full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers? Your silver has become as dross. Your wine is diluted with waters. Your princes are rebels your compa- and your companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not defend the orphan the, and the legal dispute of the widow does not come before them. Therefore, the declaration of the Lord Yahweh of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. Ah, I will be relieved of my enemies, and I will avenge myself on my foes. And I will turn my hand against you. I will purify your dross like lye. I will remove all of your tin. I will restore your judges as at the first, and your counselors as at the beginning. After this, you will be called the city of righteousness, faithful city. Zion, you, Zion will be redeemed by justice and those of her who repent by righteousness. And the destruction of rebels and sinners shall be together. And those who forsake Yahweh will perish. For you will be ashamed of the oaks, um, you will be ashamed of the oaks in which you delight. And you will be disgraced because of the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak, withering in leaves, and like a garden where there is no water for her. And the strong man shall become like tender, and his work like a spark. And both of them shall burn together, and there is no one to quench them. Chapter 2 starts, the word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in the future of the days, the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established. It will be among the highest of the mountains, and it shall be raised from the hills, and all of the nations shall travel to him. Many people shall come, and they shall say, Come, let us go to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob, and may he teach us part of his ways, and let us walk in his paths. For instruction shall go out from Yahweh, from Zion, sorry, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. He shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. A nation shall not lift up a sword against a nation, and they shall not learn war again. So that's five too, right? um, It's just verse five. I was going to leave that for tomorrow. Okay. It says, House of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of Yahweh. 
So for 29. Yeah, let's back up here back into chapter 1, um, 21 through 30 there. It's about purifying Jerusalem and what that looks like. Because Jerusalem, we know right now, is in disarray and sin and, and lawless, basically, in so many ways. So 29. Um, oaks and gardens. The oaks which you've desired and the gardens which you've chosen. Mm-hmm. This is likely a reference to the oak groves and gardens connected with their idolatrous and adulterous heathen worship. Mm. Yep. My note similar to that. It says the references to oak and terebinth trees and gardens are likely allude to Canaanite religious practices, possibly including the Asherah poles that Hezekiah cut down in 2 Kings 18.4. It looks like 30s of an oak too. Yeah, it says like an oak withering its leaves. The metaphor is extended from religious practices to the biological impact of cutting a garden off from its life source. So we'll continue 2930 into that. So it's pretty intense where we're looking at because it's not just, man, I sinned once. I sinned, Lord, forgive me. It's when this is the abandonment of the call of God, but you're still masquerading as one called by God. And you've abandoned his call and you masquerade it with the practice of, of in this case, sacrifice. So Think of somebody in church whose life outside of Sunday does not look like it just looked like on Sunday. But they're sinning. Maybe they're looking at materials they shouldn't look at or having relationships they shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. They are, um, maybe they're nursing addictions. Mm-hmm. But their life they live is one of a welcome sin. It's okay. not one they're fighting against. But they're, when they're embracing. Yeah. And we know how that can feel. Where yeah. it's just, it's, you don't want to even think about it. Mm-hmm. You just want to, yeah. Okay. So, but they're spending their time. Let's make the sacrifices and look like we're supposed to look. Because we're, mm-hmm. we're Jews. We're so supposed about, to do this. It's really about the heart. And God's like, right. I don't want your sacrifice. I want your heart. I want your obedience. Right. But as an entire People, group, you stand in sin. Can you explain what four means to me? About hammer a sword into plowshare and spear into oh, pruning hook. Okay, so this section, my little note here, this is really cool. And this is obviously talking about... Yeah, I've got a note this here. This is prophecy. This is prophecy. And he says it's the millennial kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, my note here real quick. Uh, the prophecy in Isaiah 2... 2 through 5. is virtually identical to Micah 4, 1, 2, and 3. Uh-huh. Some overlap in the prophet uh, prophetic books is not unusual because of shared themes of judgment, usually followed by f- future reconciliation and restoration. However, the overlap in this case is so close that it is likely that either Micah quoted Isaiah or both Micah and Isaiah used a psalm well known among the prophets. So what this is referring to is that there's no more need for fighting or wars um, so you, they're turning their weapons of war into weapons of planting and harvest. And that's symbolizing a time of peace. So verse, you said verse 4? Yeah, I just don't know what those terms mean. Um, so let's see here. Right, specifically, Judah has been under threat for war of war for years. One day, 
God's righteous reign on earth will be accompanied by international peace. Weapons of war will be refashioned into agricultural implements. In Joel chapter 3, that includes a similar scene of God judging the nations, but it employs images of war and wrath rather than peace. In Joel 3, it reverses the image, calling on the nations to beat their plowshares into swords and their pruning hooks into spears. Interesting. Yeah, so it's really weird that we have in Joel, it's going to go from um, turning these into weapons and then at the end of all things, God's going to say, turn them back from weapons. Yeah. Okay. Which, if I can be a little international man of mystery, I happen to know in Japan, the martial art, art artistry in Japan, that um, there was a time where all their weapons were taken from them. And so their garden implements became their weapons. Okay. So just a little something. Okay, hold on one sec. All right, here we go. We're, we're into Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 38. And okay. Bride's going to do this. She I just, probably she, don't need to read the intro. No, I've got a little... Let me just read my little blurb. It's Except for he's a doctor. Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke, which is not the same as a doctor today, doctor. Doctor, 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 doctor. All right, quick. I'll do a quick introduction to Luke on this one. Quick paragraph. That's all I'm going to do. Luke proclaims Jesus is the Savior of the world. This gospel presents Jesus as the climactic turning point in world history, and it sets the stage for Luke's second volume, The Acts of the Apostles. In both books, Luke focuses on the mission of Jesus, which continues and expands with the church. Out from Jerusalem to the world, and in in Jesus, everyone, Jewish and non-Jewish, may come to salvation. Early church tradition holds that both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts of the Apostles were written by Luke the physician, Paul's frequent companion during his missionary journeys. And early church history also says Luke was a Gentile, not a Jew. And he came from Antioch where Paul spent a great deal of time. These biographical details fit with the Gospel's familiarity with Greco-Roman culture and its emphasis on Gentiles becoming followers of Christ. And these were all written to Theophilus, uh, who we actually don't know much of. Just that he's mentioned in there. Okay, so... 1 through 38. 1 through 38, and you're on. Okay. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things which have about the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abiha. Did I say it right that um, time? Yeah. Okay. It's not ha, it's ya. Abiah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing in the, to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak with you, speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me, to take away my disgrace among men. Now in the sixth month, from the, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That was it, right? One through thirty eight. Yep. One through thirty eight. Good job. Okay. Love Luke. I really do. It's I think it's my favorite gospel. I love his narrative and how he did. I love that the pre, the first four verses. That little hey, that's what we're gonna do. This is how the structure is gonna go. It's gonna be like a little, it's gonna be like a little story, a little narrative. So just have a couple little notes. Yeah. For nine chosen by lot, the privilege of burning incense would happen only once in the lifetime of any priest. Mm-hmm. So this was a very specific time. It was. All ordained. Yes, all ordained by God. This was so at a time when he, all eyes were on him. So Gabriel's right? out there right? now. Yeah, Gabriel's out there ready to stop the die. You realize this? Stop the what? 
the die. They're casting lots as a right. set of dice. Right. So Gabriel's out there. Right. They just can't see. I mean, yes, this is clearly inference, guys, because Gabriel, Gabriel shows up. But he makes sure that it falls on the one person he's going to talk to. Right. It's pretty funny. And so my little thing here says in verse 8, Each division of priests served in the temple twice annually, with each session lasting one week. So it's, again, back to Exodus, we learn when God was dividing everybody up, remember? Aaron, your sons will do this, and then each person, you're responsible for this, you're responsible for this, you're responsible This is where all that comes from. And they're still doing it. But then we just read in Isaiah, screw that up. Okay, my bad. So we are now, are we done with the conversation from Luke? Yeah. Love conversations on Luke, it's fantastic. Uh, we are moving along to... Job, the deep, deep Job, 1 through 12. This is a very controversial book. Where is Job? I haven't... Job is usually uh, before Psalm. Yeah, I thought so. I must have just skipped it. Unless your book... Some Bibles can mess things up and put them in different orders. Job. Yep. So it's, is it right before Psalms? Uh, yep. It ends uh, Job 41 and it goes right into Psalms. Most so. of the time. Okay. Job is the oldest written book in the um, Old Testament. It was the first book ever written. It was written before what, are the, the whole chapter. No, no, just the first um, fifty verses. Uh, I just said it was. Sorry. Okay. Um, sorry, guys. Verses one through twelve. Okay. So just kind of a side note, if you, if anybody listening um, likes Job or if you hate reading Job because you get confused and frustrated, a really good book that is centered on the story of Job is Where Is God When It Hurts by Philip Yancey. Mm-hmm. Pretty life-changing mm-hmm. book for me. So Job um, means a lot to me. Okay. So, so his, this is considered intro, wisdom literature. Okay. That's why, because we do an Old Testament like historical book, yep, and then a New Testament book, and then a wisdom or song. A writings, yeah. and so that could be wisdom literature or psalms, that yeah. could be Ruth, something like that. Um, so. so I'll read the intro for this one. It's short. Is that okay? Sure. Um, author is uncertain. Date is uncertain. Though we know that the title of the book comes from the, its principal character and that Job was a historical person from Ezekiel and James, we do not know for certain who actually wrote the book. Some suggestions include Job himself, Elihu, Moses, and Solomon. Date. The date of the events of the book and the date of the writing of the book are two different matters. The events may have taken place in a patriarchal society in the second millennium BC, around the time of Abraham. Several facts support this dating. Job lived more than 140 years, a not uncommon lifespan during the patriarchal period. The economy of Job's day, in which wealth was measured in terms of livestock, was the type that existed in this period. Like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he was the priest of his family. And the absence of any reference to the nation Israel or the Mosaic law suggests a pre-Mosaic date, such as before 1500 BC. Do you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Three principal views exist concerning the date of writing. Actually, I don't think we need to go into that. And then the theme, the book wrestles with the age-old question, why do righteous men suffer yeah. if God is a God of love and mercy? It clearly teaches the sovereignty of God and the need for man to acknowledge such. Jacob's three friends give essentially the same answer. All suffering is due to sin. 
Elihu, however, declared that suffering is often the means of purifying the righteous. God's purpose, therefore, was to strip away all of Job's self-righteousness and to bring him to the place of complete trust in him. And it gives important insights into the work of Satan. And the best-known verses are in chapter 19. Okay. All right. So... Um, 1 through 12. The first 12 verses setting the stage here. Let's go through that. Hit a couple points. Chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright and God-fearing and turn, turning away from evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Then his livestock came to be 7,000 sheep and goats and 3,000 camels, 500 pair of oxen and 500 female donkeys. And he had very many slaves and the man was greater than all the people of the east. And his sons used to go and hold a feast at each other's house on his day. And they would send, and then they would invite their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. Then the days of the feast had run their course. Job would send, and he would sanctify them. Thus he would arise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings, according to the number of all of them. Because Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their heart. This is what Job used to do all the time. And it happened one day that the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh. This is your unseen realm thing. Yes, it is. Mine says sons of God, and it's lowercase son. Yep. And he, Ryder believes they were angels. And it, the actual Hebrew text means heavenly beings or angels. Okay. Um, they came to present themselves before Yahweh, and thus Satan also came into their midst. So Yahweh said to the Satan... From where have you come? Then the Satan answered Yahweh and said, From roaming on the earth and from walking about in it. So Yahweh said to the Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Indeed, there is no one like him on earth, a blameless man and upright and God-fearing and turning away from evil. Then the Satan answered Yahweh and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a fence around him and his household and all that belongs to him on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his livestock has increased in the land. But on the other hand, stretch out your hand and touch all that belongs to him and see whether he will curse you to your face. So Yahweh said to the Satan, Look, all that belongs to him is in your power. Only do not stretch out your hand against him. So the Satan went out from Yahweh's presence. So I added the article, the, in there because Mm -hmm. this is not, according to the the writing itself, this is not Lucifer written here. This is not Satan, but it is the word Satan, which means adversary. So we're actually, we don't know which adversary this is. It's actually lowercase s. In the Hebrew, so it could, it's the accuser, the adversary, and like you said, if you go back here to the beginning, where it says the sons of God, it happened one day that the sons of God came to present themselves. This is a big deal because a lot of times we miss this part. Um, my note here it says the Hebrew phrase used here, "bene Elohim," which may be literally rendered as "sons of God," refers to spiritual beings who in this instance are part of God's counsel, the divine counsel. 
And that's also shown in uh, 2 Kings 22, or 1 Kings 22, I'm sorry. Um, for this reason, some translations render the phrase uh, Bene Elohim here and elsewhere as angels. Um, and that is referenced back to Genesis 6 2. So there's some controversy as to that term itself, and some people dial it down, and some people just go, this is the plain text. I'm one of these guys like, this is the plain text. So present themselves for Yahweh portion. It says, it portrays a divine counsel, and we can read about them also in Psalm 82, verse 1, with heavenly beings coming to report before the king Yahweh. So it's really important to note that this is a group of heavenly creatures. Um, doesn't mean the angels with wings that glow and do the will of God. That's not who we're talking about. This is an, a different setting. It's a different grouping. And we can see them. They're, they're just seasoned all through the Old Testament, even into the New. We can actually find them if we kind of uh, look with a slightly different lens. I don't mean eisegesis. I don't mean to look uh, uh, against the will of God and, and the word of God. But all you do is look at Psalm 82 and Genesis 6 and here in Job 1, and there is a synthesis of this grouping. But that's not really what this is about. This is about God is wanting to prove that this human being, Job, is faithful because not even the accuser can cause him to lose faith in Yahweh. And Yahweh knows this. Yahweh knows that Job's faith is not tied to his wealth. Yahweh knows that his faith is not tied to his family. And all this will be proven here throughout the entire book. So it's a big deal. It's a seriously big deal. There's so many different things in here that we pay attention to, but most people just kind of whip through this as fast as they can and go from what he went through to what he got back, and then that's it, and it's a one Sunday sermon. But it's a whole lot more than that. So I look forward to this book. Any questions, babe? Mm -mm. Okay. So let's just wrap it up. I want to just say, hey, thanks for listening. My beautiful bride here. Um, I'm so glad we got to read and record tonight. Thank you. Love you. It's really great. We'll get this posted as soon as uh, soon for tomorrow. I'll try to get it up here tonight. So we want to say thanks. I'm Mark. I'm the guy. I'm Andrea. I'm a bride. And we just got done reading the Bible. God bless, guys.